The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Unfiltered podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships. So as I go through these, yes, if people can just be aware. So I'm going to say the things that we're possibly needing from them. These won't be for everybody, of course, but these are just the things that I thought of. Um, why is it I'm needing this? Did my parents or my caregivers not give it to me? When do I actually get this from my narcissistic person? And can I give this to myself? Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. This episode is the step one of our series, How to Emotionally Detach from the Narcissist. Lucian and Gerard, a registered counselor and narcissistic abuse specialist, will be guiding us through all the steps that we should take if we want to emotionally detach from the narcissist. With her foundation of personal experience of narcissistic abuse in relationships with both parents, siblings, partners and friends, together with her years of studying the academic research on narcissism, she is well equipped to help us through this journey of emotional detachment from the narcissist. This will be a long series and we will start this series by focusing on the step one, which is about the critical step of understanding what we are really looking for from these relationships. Let's get right into it. The first question really is what what is it that we're searching for? What is it that we're needing from the narcissistic individual? Um, what is it that we're actually yeah, looking for in them? What can they give to us? As I go through each of these things, perhaps viewers can think to themselves, well, why do I need this? Is this because I didn't have needs that were met, you know, when I was a child, for example? You know, could my parents not give me enough love that I was needing at the time? Um, which, you know, obviously, if, if our needs aren't met as a as a very young child, then we, we continue searching for that all through our lives until our needs are actually met. And the next thing is to ask, when does the narcissistic individual actually give that to me? So am I just imagining in my head? So if I think about my narcissistic partner, for example, um, you know, am I imagining that they're giving me lots of love or are they actually giving me love? What's the evidence that they're giving me all this love? You know, and I'm not talking about buying you gifts. I'm talking about giving you a hug. Um, you know, stroking your hand, these silly things, paying you attention, listening to what you have to say. Mm -hmm. These are all just little, silly little signs that that person really does love you. They yeah. respect you, you know, they, they care about you. Because narcissistic people as well are very good at maybe buying you gifts because they, they you know, instead of spending quality time with you and actually listening to you and you know, having a conversation, it's quicker and easier just to go and buy a present and then that's you happy. And of course, this works for children. So if you have narcissistic parents or caregivers, sometimes they can, rather than giving you love and att 
attention and time and play games with you. It's just quicker just to buy something, you know, a new whatever on the computer. Um, and then that's that problem solved. But of course, it's not. Children are usually delighted they've got a new mm -hmm. toy or whatever, a new game to play. But it's not, that's not actually giving you proper love, which is really what we all need. So as I go through each of these points, I've got 20 points. If, if, if the listener can just ask themselves, you know, okay, why do I need this? Do, you know, does my partner actually give this to me? And the mm. final question is, can I give it to myself? Mm. Because rather than look, so rather than looking externally for love, a source of love, if you look within yourself, then you can find your own love for yourself. And then you can learn to love yourself. And then you don't need it from externally, from an external mm. source. If you love yourself from the start, then you're not coming from a needy perspective. You're coming from a, I'm already full of love. So you have lots of love to offer the world, but you're not needing to suck love from somebody else, mm. you know? Okay, shall I start my 20 then? <laughs> so as I go through these, yes, if people can just be aware. So I'm gonna say the things that we're possibly needing from them. These won't be for everybody, of course, but these are just the things that I thought of. Um, why is it I'm needing this? Did my parents or my caregivers not give it to me? Um, when do I actually get this from my narcissistic person? And can I give this to myself? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the first one, of course, is love, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous. But we are all craving this love um, because, as we all know, that the brain you know, we feel like we're on such a high, aren't we, when we first, you know, oh, I've met this amazing person. Um, so our brain actually releases, you know, the neurotransmitters. I don't, I get these mixed up, whether it's dopamine, serotonin or oxytocin, I don't know which one is which, but it releases all this lovely stuff. So we feel just on cloud nine. Mm -hmm. um, and that in itself can be quite addictive. So because this this whole um, feel good stuff is usually around the beginning of a relationship. Um, and of course, with time, it gradually wears off usually. Um, so we have that our brain is literally craving those neurotransmitters to be released again because we're craving that high. Mm. You know, it really is like a drug addiction, craving that high that you first got, you know. So I think just understanding that helps us to realize, because I have a lot of clients saying, but why I feel like I'm addicted to him, you know, and it's true because it's the same. That's what's going on in your brain, you know? So just being aware of that, that your, your brain is releasing this feel good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why we're craving them. Yeah. <laughs> Romantic relationships with a narcissist usually start with an intense love bombing phase. Now, love bombing might look different, and it isn't always these grandiose trips to different countries or getting expensive gifts all the time. It could simply be a lot of attention, time spent together, and it often involves this process called mirroring. When the narcissist is mirroring you, they are essentially trying to reflect or mimic your behavior, even your speech patterns or your attitude, because they are trying to build rapport and establish trust with you. 
Narcissists use a lot of mirroring in the beginning stages of the relationship to manipulate you into feeling heard, understood, and supported. When this is happening, you most likely are not aware that their mirroring is just a manipulation tactic that they use and you might fall in love with them. And falling in love is a complex experience that involves different areas of the brain. Let me go through quickly some of the key changes that occur in the brain when you are in love. The first one is increased activity in the reward system. When you are in love, your brain releases a chemical called dopamine, which is associated with pleasure and reward. This creates a sense of euphoria and reinforces the desire to spend time with the person you love. The second one is activation of the amygdala. The amygdala is a small almond-shaped structure in the brain that is involved in emotional processing. When you are in love, the amygdala becomes more active, which can heighten your emotional responses and increase your attachment to the person you love. The third one is reduced activity in the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain that is responsible for decision-making, judgment and impulse control. When you are in love, this area of the brain becomes less active, which can make you more impulsive and less rational in your behavior. The fourth one is increased levels of oxytocin. Oxytocin is a hormone that is sometimes called the love hormone because it is associated with social bonding and attachment. When you are in love, your brain releases more oxytocin, which can increase feelings of trust, intimacy and closeness. So in addition to being aware of what happens in our brain when we fall in love, at this point we invite you to ask yourself, why are you seeking love from the narcissist in your life, who most likely, if they truly are a narcissist, is incapable of giving you this love? You can ask yourself, have you been in this situation before? Is there a pattern in your life that has maybe started early where you seek love from emotionally unavailable people? You might also want to check out our trauma bonding archive. We have many articles about trauma bonding. For example, what are the signs of a trauma bonded relationship? How do you break a trauma bond with a narcissist? The four most common reasons that trauma bonding occurs. Why do trauma bonds feel like an addiction? How do you know if a bond is trauma or love? Why are trauma bonds so hard to break? And why do trauma bonds feel like love? Educating yourself about trauma bonds is important because that might be one of the reasons why you are seeking love from the narcissist in your life. All these articles can be found on the podcast notes or on our website. Then ask yourself, when does the narcissist in your life give you love? Write those examples down when they have given you love. Lastly, remember to ask yourself, what are all the different ways that you could give yourself this love that you are looking for? Number two then is love that you didn't get as a child. So things like comfort. So when, you know, as a child, when you fall over and you, you know, you hurt your knee, you need somebody to rub it better and oh dear, oh dear, and give you some sympathy. Um, you need to, you know, that person can mirror how you should be feeling and oh, it is sore and poor me, a little bit of victim, poor me, poor me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and then we feel better, put a plaster on it and then we're fine. But if we haven't had that, we go on in life searching for that too. You know, not necessarily that we've fallen over, but you know, we've had a bad day at work. 
you know, we need to come home from work and go, oh, you know, the boss was really horrible to me today. And we, we need somebody to go, oh, that's terrible. I'm sorry that happened to you. You know, <laughs> we just need a bit of feedback and it's validation, I suppose, isn't it? Mm. Um, just an, and a hug again, you know, somebody giving you attention. You know, I had a really bad day. I need some attention. Okay, you tell me what happened and well, you can just talk it all through get it all out of your system um you know uh, and then you feel better it's just knowing that somebody's there and they care about you you know mm -hmm. they love you enough to actually try to help you get through your bad day that you've had <laughs> mm -hmm. exactly <laughs> and somebody who you know somebody who actually likes you they like you as a person even though none of us are perfect and we've all done some bad things and whoops i've done that by mistake but somebody still likes us for who we are. Yeah, accepts. You know, accepts us, exactly. Accepts us all, not just our good bits, our, our bad bits as well. Mm. You know, and our boring bits. And even if we're feeling a bit rubbish that day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean we don't have to be this perfect person to be loved. We just have to be our true selves. A history of childhood trauma or neglect can make you more vulnerable to gravitating towards narcissistic relationships. Especially if you have had narcissistic parent or parents, a psychological concept called priming might be the reason why you are gravitating towards a narcissistic relationship. So priming refers to the way that exposure to certain stimuli or cues can influence a person's thoughts, feelings and behaviors. For example, if you are primed to think about food, you may be more likely to choose a restaurant over a clothing store when presented with a choice. If a person has experienced narcissistic abuse or has grown up with a narcissistic parent, they may have internalized certain beliefs and expectations about what a relationship quote-unquote should look like and what traits are desirable or acceptable in a partner. For example, a person who has grown up with a narcissistic or emotionally immature parent may have learned to accept emotional or verbal abuse as quote-unquote normal or may have come to believe that their needs and feelings are not important. As a result, they may be primed to seek out partners who exhibit similar behaviors or who validate these negative beliefs about themselves. Also, a person who has experienced narcissistic abuse may be primed to seek out partners who appear to be very charming, confident or successful, as these may be the traits that they have learned to associate with love and validation. Unfortunately, these same traits are often found in narcissistic individuals, who may use their charm and confidence to mask deeper insecurities and a lack of empathy for others. Taking a closer look at your childhood might give you some clarity and answers as to why you might be seeking to get your needs met in the relationship with the narcissist in your life. If you were to come to a conclusion that you have experienced narcissistic abuse in your childhood or had neglectful or emotionally immature parents who have left a void in you that you are trying to now fill in your relationship with the narcissist, it's important for you to be aware of how the concept of priming may be impacting your beliefs and behaviors in relationships and to work on developing healthy boundaries and self-awareness in order to break free from negative patterns. So, okay, so my third point um, is the confusion of sex with love or love mm. with sex. 
So if we are craving, craving love, um, then it's, I suppose we can feel loved, you know, by having sex with somebody. Um, but so in our heads, oh yes, they must really love me because we're, you know, we're here having sex. Mm. Um, but is it actually love that you're getting? You know, some people, I suppose, it's maybe especially when you're younger, you think that love equals sex and sex equals love. Mm. But as you get older, perhaps you realize that um, people are having sex, but without the love part. Mm. So sex does not equal love at all. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, so, yeah, I don't know too much about all of that sex stuff. I don't want to get into it, but um, certainly sex does not equal love. So, okay, next is validation. Are we seeking validation that we perhaps didn't get from our caregivers? So it's always nice, especially when we're young, to have, you know, people saying, oh, good for you, you did that well, or just to validate, oh, you know, that was hard for you, or that was really difficult, but you did your best, just to validate your reality. Um, so if you didn't have that as a young person, perhaps you're still craving and you still need that validation, maybe before you can even make up your mind, you know, over a decision or something, decision to make need that validation from somebody else yes you're doing the right things yes you're you know you did do that properly um because that can be quite um crippling if we don't get that and we need it mm. you know so and again with a narcissistic individual as a partner um if we're searching for that validation they probably aren't going to give it to us mm. they're too busy thinking about themselves so they'll be critical to us. They'll probably not be on our side if we have a new fantastic idea. So it's really the opposite of validation that we get. Yeah. Criticism and that's rubbish and you're rubbish and it's all terrible. How could you even think that? Mm. So it's, um, yes, it is. It's the reverse of validation. Yeah. that mm. That's a, such a good point. And I just remembered that For example, in the podcast episode 37, I was talking with Nick Carey and he uh, brought up how often people who are codependent, they end up in narcissistic relationships trying to heal that wound with the narcissist. So just like you said, that there might be this seeking of validation that stems from from, uh, like childhood trauma or yeah. the like lack of validation back then yeah yeah and again it's it's quite um it's quite usual today because you know a lot of caregivers are out at work all day long you know so um it's i'm i'm not being bad you know i'm not being negative about the caregiving you know today it's just how things are we do all have to be out working you know so um, but it's such a huge important part um, you know, as a young person, just to get that validation. So again, ask yourself, are you seeking validation from the narcissist? And is that need for validation keeping you in the relationship? Ask yourself if there was a lack of validation from your parents during your childhood. Lack of validation in childhood can have negative effects on a child's development and well-being. Like Luciane already said, 
Validation refers to the experience of being heard, seen, and understood by others, and it is an important aspect of emotional support and connection. But when parents fail to provide validation, it can have a variety of consequences for the child, including insecure attachment. A lack of validation can also lead to insecure attachment patterns, where the child may struggle to trust others or form close relationships. Insecure attachment styles might also make you more vulnerable to gravitating towards narcissistic relationships. For example, research has found that individuals with anxious, preoccupied and fearful avoidant attachment styles may be more vulnerable to entering and remaining in abusive relationships. For example, anxious, preoccupied individuals tend to have a high need for emotional closeness and validation from their partners and may be more likely to tolerate abusive behaviors in order to maintain a sense of connection. Also, if parents fail to provide validation, it can lead to mental health problems. Children who are not validated may be at increased risk for developing mental health problems such as anxiety, depression or personality disorders. For example, there is a growing body of research that suggests a link between a lack of validation in childhood and the development of narcissistic personality disorder later in life. As you might already know, narcissistic personality disorder is a mental health condition characterized by an inflated sense of self-importance, a need for excessive admiration, a lack of empathy for others and other behaviors that can disrupt relationships and cause significant distress. One theory is that individuals who do not receive adequate validation in childhood may develop a compensatory strategy of seeking validation and attention from others, which can lead to the development of narcissistic traits. For example, if a child does not receive validation or recognition for their achievements or personality traits, they may begin to seek attention and validation from others by engaging in attention-seeking behaviors or developing an inflated sense of self-worth. This may lead to the development of narcissistic traits and behaviors later in life. Other research suggests that a lack of validation can also lead to feelings of shame and inadequacy, which can contribute to the development of NPD. For example, if a child is repeatedly criticized or invalidated by their parents, they may come to believe that their thoughts and feelings are not valid, leading to a sense of shame or worthlessness. In an effort to cope with these feelings, the child may develop a grandiose sense of self-importance as a way to compensate for their perceived inadequacies. However, not all individuals who experience a lack of validation in childhood will develop narcissistic personality disorder, and there are multiple factors that contribute to the development of this condition. Okay, so the lack of validation in your childhood might have some role in all this. Maybe not, but it might have. Remember to also ask yourself if the narcissist in your life is giving you validation. Well, you might be asking yourself, well, I'm not sure. So let me give you some examples of what validation could look like in a relationship. Are they, for example, actively listening to you? When a person is interested in what you have to say and actively listens to you without interrupting, it shows that they value your thoughts and feelings. They may also ask follow-up questions to show that they understand and are engaged in the conversation. 
Do they acknowledge your feelings? Validation involves recognizing and acknowledging the emotions that someone is experiencing, even if you don't necessarily agree with them. If the person validates you, they will acknowledge how you feel and show empathy for your experiences. Do they show appreciation? When the other person expresses appreciation for the things you do or the qualities that you possess, it can help you feel valued and validated. This may include saying thank you for something you have done or expressing admiration for your skills or talents. Or do they prioritize your needs? When the other person makes an effort to understand your needs and make sure they are met, it is a sign that they value and validate you as a person. This may include making time for activities or events that are important to you or taking your preferences into account when making decisions. Do they respect your boundaries? If the other person respects your boundaries and does not push you to do things you are not comfortable with, it is a sign that they respect you and validate your autonomy and choices. Like I said, these were just examples and validation can take many different forms and what feels validating to one person may not be the same for another. Lastly, Ask yourself if you can validate yourself instead of seeking validation externally, if you are doing this. Self-validation is the process of recognizing and accepting your own thoughts, feelings and experiences as valid and legitimate. It involves acknowledging your emotions, beliefs and experiences without seeking external validation or approval from others. Self-validation is a process of learning to accept and appreciate yourself for who you are regardless of external validation or approval. Uh, okay, so number five then is, again, this is a similar thing again. This is just about approval and sort of permission. Um, it's a similar thing, you know, we're sort of too scared perhaps to, you know, apply for a new job until somebody says, yes, go and do that. We don't have the, the faith in our, in our capacity to do a new job. And we, yeah, it's until somebody says, yes, go and do that. Then we feel, okay, they've said that, yes, I can go and do the job. So I'm going to go and apply for it. You know, so it is about, it's, it's sort of similar to validation. It's just, it's just that receiving that final stamp. Yes, you have somebody else's permission. You can go and do it now. Um, okay. And then leading on from that, number six is praise and encouragement. This again is a similar sort of thing. Um, that when if perhaps you haven't had much praise throughout your whole childhood, so you're still searching on probably quite a needy, constant basis for praise, you know. So whereas a child will come up to you and go, look at my picture, look what I did, and you, oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, of course, as a grown up, we can't do that, but really, that's what we want to do. <laughs> we want to, oh gosh, look what I did at work today. Look how I've, you know, look at my new clothes that I've got. I don't know. <laughs> Just to get that, oh, wow, that looks great. Or you did, oh, you did a good job, <laughs> you mm, know. Mm. <laughs> so just some kind of praise. But again, a narcissistic individual will not do that. Yeah, because they will see it as a threat. As a if threat. you would come... And you come from like home from work and you did really well. Or for example, you get you get a promotion. Like mm -hmm. na naturally, you would want to share that with your partner. Like, hey, I got a promotion. Like, like I'm so proud of myself. And uh, mm -hmm. the boss gave me really good feedback. 
they are not they they like can't be happy for you because they see your success as a threat and they see it it's kind of a remind it it can be a trigger for them that oh i'm i'm like a failure failure i'm like worthless i'm uh, all those negative things that they have suppressed within themselves and then but they are not aware of this like they, they are not aware of this in the level that they would you know seek out therapy and fix those things within themselves so instead what they do they minimize your your promotion they they either they just you know shrug their shoulders and kind of like ignore ignore you yeah. or or they just say something like 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 probably someone helped you to do that or maybe you yeah. you know something hurtful they can belittle it in some way don't they yeah they put it down in some way it's mm. a rubbish job anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> again remember to ask yourself are you seeking praise from the narcissist and is this because you didn't get praise when you were young also ask yourself is the narcissist even giving you praise or are you actually getting the opposite of praise, which is criticism? Here are some examples of how someone might criticize another person in a relationship. 1. Insulting the other person's appearance. For example, saying something like, I can't believe you are wearing that. You look ridiculous. In comparison, Praise in this situation would be someone complimenting the other person's appearance, saying something like, you look great in that outfit today. Number two, using sarcasm to belittle the other person. Oh, great. Another amazing idea from the genius over here. Could be one example of this. Again, in comparison, praise in this situation could be someone acknowledging other person's efforts by saying something like, Thanks for trying to figure this out with me. I really appreciate you taking the time to figure this out with me and coming up with different ideas. Number three, criticizing the other person's personality traits. An example of this could be someone saying, you are so needy all the time, it's exhausting. In comparison, praising here could look like someone recognizing the other person's positive qualities. You are so kind and thoughtful. I love how you always think about others and try to make their day better. It's important to remember that constructive criticism is probably always welcome in, a, in relationships. But if you are dealing with the narcissist, you are most likely getting criticism that is not even true. Or you are not getting constructive criticism. So there is a, you know, I just wanted to say that there is a distinction. Okay, um... Lastly, remember to figure out ways to give praise to yourself. You do not need the narcissist to give praise to yourself. Okay. Um, so yes, the comfort and soothing, you know, again, when you need, sometimes we just need a hug. Just for the old serotonin, we need a hug to feel warm and to feel safe and it's okay in this few seconds that you know it's okay so again if we didn't have a lot of hugs um as a young person we will still have that need um probably quite often you know so it's just to be aware is that actually one of the things that you're looking for in your partner or whoever um because i don't know many narcissistic individuals perhaps they won't value a hug and of course if 
when you think about it, if you go and hug somebody, it's because you have empathy and you can see that they need a hug yeah. because they're feeling a bit sad or whatever. If you don't have much empathy or any empathy, you're not going to be aware of that person and that they're desperately needing a hug. So you won't just automatically go and give them a hug. Mm. It's often the case, I suppose, that, that you land up asking, oh, can I have a hug, please? But I don't know if... I'll just own this for me. I have had a hug from a narcissistic person and a lot of people have said the same. It's like a robot putting their arms around you. So if you imagine the difference between having a hug from a robot and then having a hug from a normal human being, mm. it's there's no comparison. Because what you're getting from a from a human hug, there's a bit of warmth and you can just sense some love and I don't know. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. With I do a, know. With a robot, I don't know how to explain it even. But with a robot, if a robot puts its its arms around you, it, yes, it's putting physically putting its arms around you, but there's no love in it. There's no human <laughs> love. It is just love, isn't it? Mm. Human warmth and love and caring. I don't know. Yeah, maybe you can maybe sense their discomfort from the yeah, hug exactly. like that yes. they might might give you the hug but you can sense the way they gave it to you or you know exactly. that it's like a little bit that they feel in discomfort while exactly. giving it yes so yes there's definitely that as well it's just that oh i have to want the <laughs> hug again <laughs> yeah yeah and it is it's you feel like you're again you're an inconvenience to them Mm, you know mm. because they don't want to give you a hug because that's not on the on their menu you know? yeah so um yeah because i think that's quite a big one actually um a hug that's an important part of day-to-day -day life yeah it is. children are always running up and they need a hug all the time because it's normal and natural so hugs for sure are one way to comfort and soothe another person after asking yourself was your need for comfort and soothing met previously in your life? Really think about if the narcissist in your life is giving you comfort. Again, to help you with this, here are some examples of how, in a healthy relationship, comfort and soothing another person looks like. For example, if one partner is feeling unwell, the other partner may offer to make them tea or soup bring them blankets or a warm compress and offer physical comfort and support. Another example is when one partner experiences a setback or failure, the other partner offers words of encouragement and validation, helping to boost their self-esteem and sense of self-worth. The last example is if one partner is going through a tough time emotionally, the other partner may offer to go for a walk practice mindfulness or meditation, or engage in another activity together that promotes relaxation and stress relief. And lastly, remember to think about ways you can soothe yourself and give comfort to yourself. Okay, I'll move on to the next one. Where are we? Uh, so number nine is emotional support, which again, that includes empathy, love and trust. These are the normal things that we need. We just need some emotional support. Somebody who can say, oh, I can, I feel 
that you're angry and no wonder you're angry or oh I can see that you're really sad no wonder you're sad you should be feeling sad just somebody who understands our emotions and our moods and her whatever we happen to be feeling you know somebody who can understand that feel it with us we can share with them and of course once we share it then it's a oh that's a load of me in addition to being understood by another person or that the another person at least tries their best to understand you, you can use the following checklist to really think if you are in a relationship where there is an adequate level of emotional support. Before this checklist, don't forget to ask yourself if your need for emotional support was filled in your childhood because if it was not, you might be in the relationship with the narcissist because of the psychological concept called priming that I already mentioned in this podcast. But okay, so here is the checklist for you. Can you communicate openly and honestly with the other person about your feelings and concerns without fear of judgment or criticism? Does the other person make you feel appreciated and valued for who you are and encourage you to pursue your goals and passions? Does the other person express gratitude and appreciation for the things you do for them, whether it's cooking dinner, doing the laundry or simply being there for them when they need support? Does the other person make an effort to maintain a positive and respectful tone in your interactions, even during disagreements or conflicts? Does the other person make you feel safe, secure and loved, and do they demonstrate their affection and commitment to you in meaningful ways? And again, lastly, do not forget to think about ways how you can support yourself emotionally, especially if you are in a narcissistic relationship. Uh, okay, number 10 is sense of belonging. This is really important too. So when you feel like you belong, so again, if this is a partner, for example, if you feel that you belong together, um, yeah, you just feel like you belong somewhere. Um rather than you don't belong anywhere, you have no roots. Um, you can just be a, a stranger walking around a foreign land. You know, you don't really feel like you belong anywhere. Mm. That can make us feel terribly lonely as well, alone in the world. And, you know, we don't, yeah, we don't have anything, anything to belong to. Not that we belong to our partners, but just a, a sense of belonging. And again, especially if we didn't have that as, as a young child, if we really didn't feel that we belonged in the family, then we have that desperate craving to belong somewhere, you know? So many of us go off traveling in search of where, where do I belong? You know, maybe I'm in the wrong country. Maybe if I move to, you know, somewhere else, I'll, I'll feel that I belong there. I wanted to know more about what a sense of belonging in a relationship might be and look like or feel like. A sense of belonging in a relationship refers to the feeling of being accepted, valued and connected to your partner or to the other person, as well as feeling like you are an integral part of your partner's life or the other person's life. It's the sense that you are truly seen and understood by the other person and that you have a shared sense of purpose, values and goals. 
When you have a sense of belonging in a relationship, you feel like you have a secure emotional attachment to the other person and that they are a safe haven where you can be yourself, share your vulnerabilities and be comforted and soothed. You feel like you are part of a team, working together to navigate the ups and downs of life and supporting each other along the way. So ask yourself again, do you have a sense of belonging in your relationship? Remember to think about ways to cultivate your sense of belonging by yourself, so you do not have to rely on the narcissistic person in your life. This will help you to emotionally detach from the narcissist. Number 11 is, this is like fears, really. Um, so fear, a lot of people we know, we fear the dark, we fear at night, in case robbers are going to come in and rob everything. Um, just anything bad that can happen, you know, um, all, all these bad things might happen and who's going to protect me. Um, if we have an accident, if there's an emergency, if the place goes on fire, and I don't know, all of these things are sort of um, worrying alarm things. Oh, you know, if that happens, then at least I have somebody, you know, who's going to protect me. Um, mm. it, it does, it sounds pathetic when you're saying out loud, it does. But many of us, even if we know it or not, we do have that inside us. You know, a lot. I hear a lot of people saying, oh, but how can I live on my own? And if he leaves, and what am I going to do? You know, um, so again, if you haven't had that safety and that sense of security when you were a child, you're going to be searching for somebody to be there to protect you. Mm. But you haven't learned that you can actually protect yourself. Mm. You know? And also, on from that, where did this whole thing of that the world is such a dangerous place, where did that come from as well? Yeah. You know? Because actually, mostly, we don't have big, huge emergencies and accidents. And, mm. <laughs> you know, when, I, when you go into your house, it's not like a death. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like knives you know being thrown at you and fire and yeah. whatever else it's actually just normal the same house that you go to every day mm. <laughs> you know so we don't need somebody to protect us we are all completely fine the world isn't such a bad place we're all okay people are usually nice you yeah. know hopefully we don't get robbed and stuff very often if ever Mm, mm. Uh, and if a person has a sense of security within themselves and sense of um like you know good self-esteem or self-confidence then i feel like it, it's like okay if i do encounter um problems or uh, you know challenging situations it's this belief that i can still make it that yeah. usually gives you the sense of security already exactly it's having total faith in yourself mm. that you can manage whatever the situation you could manage. Mm. Yeah. Again, remember to reflect on, was there a lack of security in your childhood that you are now trying to fill in the relationship that you are in? Remember to also ask, is the narcissist in your life fulfilling this need of yours? Does their presence and the relationship that you have with them bring you the feeling of security? And lastly, think about ways in which you can yourself increase your feeling of security. So feeling valued as well. Um, yes, this is so somebody who, like I said before, somebody who's actually listening to you 
and is interested in you and cares about what you have to say. Every, you know, it's not like every time you start talking, he's like, oh, yes, <laughs> you're so boring. You've told me that a million times, you know, um, just, yeah, I think if you, if you know in your heart that, you know, you, you are quite interesting and you are likable, um, you're not, you know, you're not the most boring person on the planet. <laughs> mm. um, you just need somebody who just, who just values what you have to share. Mm. you know and, and i don't know yeah and, yeah i'm thinking like what does can you even say like oh someone is boring if for example if i find someone boring it's just because we don't have the same interests exactly. it's a, it doesn't mean that they are as a person boring because yeah. i'm like i know that there are for sure people who don't find person that I might find boring boring because they're like oh we we share our passions like uh, and usually often I find things boring when I don't know enough about them okay. for example how do you call when you go look like birds you you use these mm, well, binoculars yeah you go you go look birds and like stuff like that I feel like I might find that boring But then if I was with someone who is passionate about birds and explaining to me like all the cool stuff that the birds do and I don't know, like yeah, <laughs> like some stuff watching. about yeah, yeah, yeah. bird watching, that's, that's the word. Like yeah. I might start finding it interesting, <laughs> but like f first I would be like, nah, <laughs> like I, exactly. I, I don't think that's, that's like the <laughs> thing what I would want to do. But I'm just saying that sometimes if you find something boring, it's just because you don't know enough about it, you know? Yes. Things get pretty interesting thing. when you dive deeper into them. Yeah. 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 Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes, exactly. <laughs> yes, I think that about train spotting, you know, people who watch trains, you know. Oh. Been... <laughs> 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 well, that's fine. But so, yes, I would be bored if somebody was talking about trains and, you know, what time they came at, all of that stuff. I don't know. But again, it's, you're right. It's nothing to, you know, they're very... I'm sure very interesting to other people who appreciate that, mm. you know. So um, yes, you're right. It's not about the person being boring. You're right. It's about your perception again and how you match with that person. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose if you feel valued from somewhere from your partner, even if your family didn't value you as an interesting, valuable person, um. If you have that inside, it won't matter to you if if somebody doesn't value you then because you'll have that naturally inside you because mm. you know that you're not boring to everybody. Yeah. But a lot of us will be searching for that from a, a partner. Again, reflect back on your childhood. Were you valued by your primary caregivers? If you weren't, you might be trying to fill that need to be valued in your current relationship. Here are some signs that may indicate that you were not valued by your parents. The first sign is lack of attention and affection. Your parents may have been physically or emotionally unavailable, neglecting to spend quality time with you or show affection towards you. Sign number two is criticism and negativity. Your parents may have been critical or negative towards you, often pointing out your flaws and failures instead of your strengths and successes. The sign number three is control and manipulation. 
Your parents may have been controlling or manipulative, not allowing you to make your own decisions or express your feelings and opinions freely. Sign number four. Lack of support. Your parents may not have supported your interests, dreams or achievements and may have even discouraged them. Sign number five. Emotional or physical abuse. Your parents may have subjected you to emotional or physical abuse, causing trauma and long-lasting effects on your mental and physical health. If you are still unsure, let me list some signs that indicate that you were valued by your parents. Was there consistent attention and affection? Your parents were physically and emotionally present, showing love and affection towards you regularly. Sign number two is positive reinforcement. Your parents celebrated your successes and encouraged your interests, passions and talents. Sign number three is support and guidance. Your parents supported your decisions and provided guidance and advice when you needed it. Sign number four is respect for boundaries. Your parents respected your boundaries, allowing you to express your feelings and opinions without judgment or control. The last sign is discipline with compassion. Your parents disciplined you with compassion, teaching you right from wrong without using shame, blame or physical punishment. After reflecting on this question, remember to ask yourself if the narcissistic person in your life is valuing you. Here is a simple checklist for you that indicates that the person you are in a relationship values you. The first sign is appreciation. The person expresses gratitude for your contributions, efforts or qualities. They acknowledge the positive impact you have on their life or others. Sign number two is respect. The person treats you with dignity, fairness and consideration. They honor your boundaries, opinions and feelings. Sign number three, support. The person offers help, encouragement or guidance when you need it. They believe in your potential and want to see you succeed. Sign number four, trust. The person confides in you, relies on you and believes in your reliability and honesty. They consider you a trustworthy and dependable individual. The last sign is affection. The person cares for you, enjoys your company and shows warmth and kindness towards you. They consider you a friend, a partner or a loved one. To sum up, when someone else values you, it means that they recognize your worth and importance as a person. In comparison, here are some signs that your partner may not value you in your relationship. The first sign is lack of respect. They don't listen to your opinions or take your feelings into account when making decisions. They may belittle you or dismiss your concerns. Sign number two, dishonesty. They lie to you or hide things from you, indicating that they don't trust you or value your trust in them. Sign number three, neglect. They consistently prioritize their own needs or desires over yours and don't make an effort to meet your needs or spend time with you. Sign number four, criticism. They frequently criticize or nitpick at your actions, appearance or personality, which can lead to feelings of low self-worth and insecurity. Sign number five, dismissiveness. They ignore your attempts to communicate or engage with them, indicating that they don't value your opinions or your presence in their life. Sign number six, infidelity. 
They cheat on you either physically or emotionally, showing a lack of respect for the relationship and for you as a person. Sign number seven, manipulation. They use guilt, intimidation or other forms of emotional manipulation to control you or get their way, indicating that they don't value your autonomy or respect your boundaries. Lastly, remember to look into the relationship that you have with yourself. Do you value yourself? Do you prioritize self-care activities such as exercise, healthy eating, adequate sleep and mindfulness practices to take care of your physical and mental health? Do you set boundaries and communicate your needs and limits with others and don't compromise them for others' sake? Do you use positive self-talk and affirmations to encourage and motivate yourself rather than criticizing or blaming yourself? Do you pursue hobbies, interests or career goals that align with your values and bring you joy and fulfillment? Do you surround yourself with supportive, positive and respectful relationships that enrich your life and contribute to your growth and happiness? Do you forgive yourself for your mistakes and accept your imperfections and flaws, understanding that they make you human? So number 13 I'm up to um, is instrumental support. So that's about the practical things in life. So for example, if you need a babysitter, you need somebody to look after the dog, walk the dog, the practical things. Are you with this narcissistic individual because of that? Maybe mm. they can fix the shelves in the cupboard. Maybe they can, I don't know, sew your curtains. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> These sort of little things that you probably can't really be bothered doing. You don't know enough about it to sort it yourself. So it's quite handy that that person will do it. Mm. So this is just another thing that it could be, you know, what you're looking for in a partner, for example. Um, that could be a reason why you're with them. You know, I'm not saying for a minute that somebody's going to be with you only because you can sew their curtains, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so there's instrumental support, what they can do practically for you. Financial support, if they can help you pay, you know, pay for the bills, I don't know, the rent, whatever. Um, and then there's foundational support, which is giving you a sense of feeling safe. Um, again, that protector, I suppose, somebody mm. who you can trust. Um, maybe they can be a constant part of your life. So they're not going to just vanish. They're there for you all the time. Whatever mood you're in, whatever the weather's doing, whatever a bad day they've had, they are always there for you mm. so it's just yeah it's supporting the very foundation that you stand on really so yeah. i've just made that word up by the way that's not a term that i've got from somebody else that's just i've just made that up okay great yeah <laughs> foundational, foundational support yeah <laughs> foundational support by lucianne gerard <laughs> yeah. before everybody starts looking googling you know oh, what does that mean that's no i just made that myself uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay so number 16 um are you dependent on the narcissistic person do you feel that you have to, you know, you can't sort of trust yourself? Um, maybe you don't value yourself. You don't really trust just yourself. You don't trust your own judgments. So maybe it's about depending on them to make decisions for you, just to sort of, you know, um, take more responsibility for you if you can't. 
does that make sense yeah like uh well that i can see that that would be very kind of like even natural thing to happen if you are in a narcissistic environment because of all the gaslighting so because the purpose of the gaslighting is that you become dependent on their perception of reality because that gives them the full control right so at some point you might actually find yourself being so dependent that you can't even be confident in yourself to create this sense of self without their opinion without their feedback without some kind of their like input in that so is that what you meant with this exactly that's exactly it yeah it's just not having that trust in yourself to make any decision at all even if somebody asks you you know do you want a cup of coffee or a cup of tea oh uh, uh, you don't know so you yeah don't know what you like anymore yeah that too and even like when making any kind of decisions you might think start to think if you have been in a narcissistic environment for a very long time that uh i mean i have heard one way that people even have justified the abuse and manipulation is that they have started to believe that well my partner they just know what's best for me and i feel like i feel like that's a way that people are able to ease the tension that comes from like being because it's exhausting to be in a relationship where you have to all the time think that where you have to all the time think that is this person good for me are they bad for me so you kind of try to maybe deal with the abuse and deal with the cognitive dissonance in a way that okay well i'm just going to decide that they just want best for me because then that eases that that limits the conflicts that you have that you are not all the time fighting about you know even decisions you just hand over all the control or the decision making to the person to you know just trying to make some kind of peace in the relationship because often we healthy people we try to limit those conflicts it's exhausting but then yeah for some reason it doesn't seem that exhausting for the for the narcissistic uh, person or or the narcissist yeah no because they're happy then because they have all the control Mm. so it's perfect for them that we basically say right you just control my life and take over and that's that so they have a free they can just do whatever they want Mm. you know Lucien and I already talked about how gaslighting might have made you dependent on the narcissistic person in your life. You might also feel dependent on the narcissist in your life because of your attachment style. Your attachment style, which is formed in childhood based on your experiences with your caregivers, can influence your adult relationships. If you have an anxious attachment style, you may feel insecure and clingy in relationships, seeking constant reassurance and validation from the other person. Also, if you have low self-esteem, you may doubt your worth and capabilities and rely on the other person to validate and affirm you. Narcissists typically try to destroy other people's self-esteem by using different manipulation tactics, such as blaming, gaslighting, triangulation and isolation. Also, your own fear of abandonment might make you more dependent on the narcissistic person. If you have experienced abandonment or rejection in the past, you may fear losing the other person and clinging to them to avoid being alone. You also might want to research codependency. If you have a codependent relationship with the other person, you may prioritize their needs and wants over yours and feel responsible for their emotions and behaviors.
Lastly, lack of independence. If you have never learned to be independent or self-sufficient, you may rely on another person to provide for you or take care of you. Okay, uh, so number 17 is guidance and advice. So this is the same sort of thing really. Are you just not able to figure out stuff for yourself? Do you look to them for guidance? What can I do next? What should, you know, what career should I be doing? Um, how can I do this? How, what should I be doing tomorrow? All of this sort of stuff. It's the same thing really. Um, it's just not, not trusting in your ability to know what's best for you and trusting them that they are the person who knows everything um, and they know you more than you know yourself, which isn't right. You know, we all know ourselves better than anybody else does. Mm, yeah, I've heard that sometimes some people in these relationships that the narcissistic person says to them that, well, like, I, I know you better than you know yourself. Yeah. So are you saying that's like impossible? So and that's well, just... it should be impossible, shouldn't it? it? Again, mm. if we've had a, um, you know, a healthy, healthy caregivers or parents who have looked after us, we should then have installed in us a sense of self and that we know ourselves and that we're okay with ourselves, we're at peace with ourselves. However, if we've had um, an unhealthy um, kind of relationship with our parents from the beginning, and we've been used to having a narcissistic person determine what's best for us. We don't have that secure sense of ourselves. Um, so we just, it's, it's more familiar just to hand the responsibility over to somebody else because we really don't trust ourselves enough. You know, we don't trust our judgment. Mm. So it's a really difficult one again, if you've had this as a child and you just, that's just familiar to you. You know, that somebody else is almost the, the puppeteer. Somebody is, you know, helping you. Do you just follow along, you know, with the commands? Because it's as well, you're probably aware at some level that if you, if you really think about what you want and what you need, that might cause conflict then with your narcissistic partner, for example. You know, so really it's a bit too dangerous to ad acknowledge to yourself what you really want or what you really like. At some deep level, you must know that you've probably been used to just depending on them um, because it's easier, it makes things flow, it stops conflict perhaps. Again, ask yourself, is the reason you are in the relationship with the narcissist because you are looking for guidance and advice? Also, think about your own sense of self. For example, abusive, unhealthy and or neglectful childhood might be the reason why you do not have a strong sense of self. Here are six signs that might indicate that you do not have a strong sense of self, which could explain the reason why you are seeking guidance and advice from the narcissistic person in your life. Sign number one is difficulty making decisions. People who lack a strong sense of self may struggle with making decisions, second-guessing themselves and seeking validation or approval from others. Sign number two, lack of boundaries. People who lack a strong sense of self may have difficulty setting boundaries with others or may tolerate mistreatment or disrespect from others. Sign number three, difficulty expressing emotions.
People who lack a strong sense of self may have difficulty identifying and expressing their emotions or may suppress them to avoid conflict or rejection. Sign number four, people pleasing. People who lack a strong sense of self may prioritize others' needs and wants over their own and may struggle with saying no or asserting their own needs. Sign number five, self-doubt. People who lack a strong sense of self may doubt their abilities, talents or worth and may seek constant reassurance or validation from others. Sign number six, lack of direction. People who lack a strong sense of self may struggle with finding purpose or direction in their lives or may feel lost or disconnected from their passions and goals. Lastly, remember to think ways to strengthen your sense of self to better know yourself so you can rely on yourself when needing guidance or advice. So number 18 then is help. Um, and I mean here help with organizing your your life. Again, this is a similar thing as well. Maybe even taking out the rubbish, um, you know, doing little jobs around the house, just sort of organizing your life in general. Um, because again, you know, we can feel so overwhelmed. There's so much to remember you know, paying the bills, taking out the rubbish, uh, buying food, all this day-to-day -day things that we just have to do. Um, it's overwhelming, you know. So if somebody's there to help us with these things, um, again, if we have had, as a child, if we were, you know, if we were expected to do too much or everything was controlled for us, it, it can be even more overwhelming. So it's natural and it probably feels familiar again, just to allow the narcissistic person just to have control over all of that. Okay, so number 19 then is just to be happy. Are you just looking to be happy? So you basically you would like somebody to give you entertainment, um, you know, make you laugh, have some fun. Um, so is this really because you can't, you can't do that for yourself? You can't entertain yourself? You have to be dependent on them to entertain you. You know, maybe you're like so bored. I thought this is number 20. If you're bored all the time, um, are you really looking for, to the narcissistic individual just to just to be a source of entertainment so that you're never bored? So I know that sounds ridiculous, but <laughs> it's a it's a big thing. OK, so that's my 20 things then of the questions to ask yourself. So trying to tie this all together now. So the whole thing really, I suppose, is that aren't we all just looking for unconditional love? That's what we're all craving. We're all craving to be loved, but without conditions. So unconditional love. Um, and then the question is, can a narcissistic individual actually love you unconditionally? So I think what we're all looking for is, you know, someone who believes in us, someone who has our back, you know, somebody who will always support us, be on our side. This is showing unconditional love. They love us unconditionally. Whatever we do, they love us. And I don't know if we can get this from a narcissistic individual because they're ultimately thinking about themselves and not our, they're not thinking about us at all. <laughs> They're only mm. thinking about them. So are they actually able to give us love unconditionally? Narcissistic, for example, getting back to our parents, 
narcissistic parents are good at um, only giving love if we comply. So that's conditional love. So if you do this, this and this, then I will love you. I will give you a hug even. I will be nice to you and that's how you get your love. If you do all of those tasks, then I will love you. If you don't comply with what I want, then I won't love you. So that's conditional love. They will only love us on these conditions that you have done this, this and this. So finally then, to wrap this all up, my final question is, you know, can you really get what you're looking for from someone else? Basically. Um, because really, you know, if we can't love ourselves, can we really get it from somebody else? Can we really get it from a narcissistic person? So really underneath that, this is my final question. Who is the best person to give us what we need? So, and really this comes back to you and knowing yourself. You are the best person. You know what you need. You know what you, yeah, you know what you crave. You know how to help yourself. Maybe you didn't have love from, from your mum when you were younger but you know somewhere deep inside you, you know what you need. So in many ways, you're the best person to help yourself. You know, we could maybe have another talk about this another time. Maybe we could do a whole video on this, how just how we can, how we can give that to ourselves. You know? Mm, yeah, so. defi definitely. I think we should, uh, like, we are going to cover this in kind of part part two of this step one. So, and in this episode, we have been talking about like, are these maybe the things that you are craving or trying to get from the narcissist? But then on the next episode, we are going to think about and really dive into how you can give give each of these things to yourself so that you do not need to seek those things from the narcissist is that right that's perfect exactly that'd be really good because again that it's giving us power as well it's empowering us hopefully to realize that actually we can give all of this to ourselves better than getting it from some somewhere else somebody else and um, so that we don't we don't hopefully we don't then feel so needy we don't crave oh i need to find somebody else because I, they'll meet my needs once we realize we can give all of this to ourselves, then we don't need anybody. So, mm. It, mm. yeah, it just, it's giving you your power back. Mm. Mm. This was a great episode. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Luciana, for walking us through all these 20 steps and you know, encouraging us to think that what is it that I really need from the narcissist so we can maybe better... Uh, kind of see the whole picture and then make better decisions for ourselves. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.